Welcome back to another episode of Chaos on the Set. Today we are discussing the Apple Plus. <laughs> I don't like Apple TV Plus. I don't like the Plus. Is it, is it actually Apple TV Plus? It's not just Apple TV. The Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus. You don't. You don't even. Have, you can just say the Apple series. Okay. Severance. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get. I it don't this think Apple. Steve Jobs will rise from his grave and say, "Actually." <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Chaos on the Set. Today we are discussing the Apple TV Plus series Severance, fresh off the season one finale. The series has been exhilarating from start to finish. It's on top of everybody's mind. True Teen Kate, our regular hosts, are back with us today. What were y'all's thoughts of this season finale? I don't think I have screamed at my television more than while watching Severance. And I don't even mean just the season finale. I mean, the way the penultimate episode ends with, like, almost getting to see the Audis or the Innies in the outside world, I literally screamed at my television. And then, obviously, all of the tension that was built in the finale was very scream-indosing. My friend who I was watching, like, synced up with was keyboard mashing. But I think that's a testament for the show that it built a strong enough world that by the season finale, you were just watching everything play out in real time. You knew the stakes. You knew, like, exactly who you didn't want certain characters to be around and who you wanted certain characters to be around. Like, they accomplished their goal, and I'm very, very impressed. Um, Yeah, I'm lucky in that... You know, I watched the first chunk of the season um, like a couple weeks ago and then I watched the last chunk of the season like literally a couple days ago. So I didn't have to wait. I watched episode eight and then immediately watched the finale. But I did textured the going like, oh my God, I can't believe you had to wait a week for this. I'm so sorry. Um, I love waiting though. I think all the television should be week to week and television should be pain and torture. And that's the thing is that I kind of regret like that I didn't, hustle and and binge what I had not watched um early enough because I I did not wait for the finale and like I would have loved that like suspensefulness of the week just wondering what's gonna happen and I didn't get to have that but um I think the series is great I've been telling everyone I know to watch it I told my dad to watch it he hasn't listened (laughs) to me yet um and Bravo on the entire cast and the crew and uh, Ben Stiller directed six episodes of this uh, season, which I did not know Ben Stiller directed until I watched Severance. And it's <laughs> it's really interesting, Kate, that you do mention binging it versus watching week to week, because I think that's one of the most fascinating things about yeah. weekly releases is watching because I watched it like right from the start because I saw all the, you know, Super Bowl commercials. I was, I was like, oh, I have to. This looks interesting. This piqued my interest of, you know, all the shitty Super Bowl commercials. And (laughs) it's interesting watching how the show picked up steam from week to week. Because I feel like the first couple of episodes, it wasn't really on too many people's radar. Um, But now, I mean, by by the end, and it was only, it was a quick nine weeks that this show wrapped up. And uh, I mean, now I feel like it's, it's on top of everybody's mind. It's like the number exactly. one number one show in television right now. It's it's funny that you mentioned that the the start of the season was a little slow and didn't pick up that much steam because I kind of felt that too. Like, you know, I tried to watch the first few episodes. Like Shruti was telling me, like, 
you have to watch Severance. You have to watch Severance. It's so good. And I was like watching the first couple of episodes and I was like, you know, it's 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 weirdly creepy and delightful, but I didn't quite know what she meant. Um, and then, but now, you know, having watched the whole season, I totally understand why the start was so slow and why we just learned so little at such a slow pace and why we were watching these, I, these people just like slave away in this work environment but they knew nothing about i actually don't think the start was that slow though really i kind of i just... so i rewatched the pilot last night and i was like i was rewatching it for the podcast so i was kind of fast forwarding through the parts that like if you know the world it's a little boring yeah but i think the pilot is expertly done even if you know the basic premise when you start in that cold open and mark is kind of giving heli the q a to make sure she is severed and he asks the question to the best of your abilities can you describe the color of your mother's eyes and you see her like heartbreak a little bit but also not break because there's no mom to remember like all those little moments are heli continuing to leave and coming back into lumen and then the next episode you see oh because she doesn't have any memories of actually being outside after she left. All of those little things adding up, like, I think it is a very solid start. After the first two episodes, I was like, I understand the way the world works well enough, and I'm still intrigued, and I think that is yeah, I, very well accomplished. I was going to say, I, I agree. I think what initially sucks you in is the fascination of the concept itself and seeing Hallie discover that herself, like how this underground severed world works and then so that is initial you know enough to to at least suck me in and i i thought the pacing was good as well and then it's like once i I think the key point where the stakes really raise is once they start to introduce the idea of you know the unsevered world and all of the complications with that of of the people that are rallying against it people like uh, you know, PD people like the ones handing out flyers. Um, you know, Mark's brother-in-law who who writes the book. It's like once they introduce this idea of it being morally object and uh, you know, having this movement against it. I think that's when the stakes really raise to push you through the rest of the season. But it, it was an interesting transition to just be like trying to figure out everything what's going on and how that world works and then raising the stakes to actually break it down morally and ethically and and see their underground movement build, you know, strength over time. It starts with Halley, but then, you know, by the end we have all of the main severed workers in MDR fully on board. Did y'all ever feel like the show, um, because obviously it's a show of withholding information, from the audience and I feel like a lot of shows that do withhold information almost withhold information so they show you a lot of weird things and you're like that's super weird and you're curious about it like for example the baby goats right and they just show you all of these weird things to like fuel your uh theories and fuel the like tinfoil hats that everyone is wearing but Sometimes I get annoyed with shows that do that because I feel like they don't actually cohesively land together. They just have all these things that merge into like crazy theories on Reddit. Did y'all ever feel like Severance was one of those or it had more of a glue to pull all of them together? Well, 
I think that was why I was slightly frustrated, like, with the first two episodes. Like, when I mentioned, like, oh, it felt slow. Maybe that was the wrong word to describe it. Maybe I just felt like I was too in the dark and I was watching this weird world that I knew nothing about. Mm. And they did introduce all of these really weird things I didn't understand. And there still are some... I mean, actually, I have a lot of questions still for uh, heading into season two. But I think, like, by the midpoint of the season, even if you didn't quite understand what was happening you gained enough context from both like the outside world outside of lumen in the inside world and you picked up enough conversations from like the staff and everything to kind of know that like something more sinister is going on and maybe we don't have all the answers yet but i felt like them raising the stakes made me go okay i can tolerate this super weird world that feels super out of place because i'm like understanding more and more about the stakes that the characters are going through if that makes any kind of sense i don't even know yeah i mean it's it's crazy to me because it's only been right a couple of months that severance has been out and Mm -hmm. the last several episodes really the second half of the season have been so batshit crazy (laughs) that it almost makes you forget everything that happened in the first half of the season right like the first half of the season really laid the groundwork um, but it's like so much that we cared about in the beginning is, I don't want to say no longer relevant, but it seems like such low stakes compared to their entire underground movement, right? Like the whole, the whole PD, uh, subplot of him unsevering himself and meeting Mark in the outside world. And then Mark goes and meets that other woman who ends up killing, uh, you know, the security guard from Lumen. Like, all of that is completely out the door over the last yeah. couple of episodes, yeah, you know? I think the thing that was making my excitement rise uh, episode by episode is, you know, when we start the show, the only single person that's questioning anything is Helly. And you're like, okay. And I think every single time, like, a new employee or new worker was like, no, what's going on? And it wasn't just Helly anymore. That was when I felt like the stakes just raised. They did a really good job, like spacing once, it out. Once Irving flipped. Once Irving flipped, and he's like, "Because Irving What's is for Irving dinner, is kids? so by the book." <laughs> yeah. Well, that's he- what weirds me out. Irving's flip, especially, and this is one of those things where that I was talking a lot to my sister about the show, and I was a little worried that this was a let's just do weird things and throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Is when Irving goes to Bert's retirement and Milchik sees him there and Milchik you knows. You smug motherfucker. <laughs> Milchik knows that all of those four Lumen employees are locked in a room that yeah. they can't get out of. So he should, like when Irving walks back and there's that very dark, sad sequence where he comes back in and he says, let's burn this place to the yeah. ground. I assumed Milchik was right behind him because why wouldn't Milchik follow? He should be like, what the hell happened? How did they get out? So that kind of lack of follow through or the lack of follow through on just like them very obviously walking in places they shouldn't be. I mean, obviously they show that one scene where Cobell is like aware that they're getting out and okay with it. But there were some things where I was like, what is going on here? I don't understand why this isn't being addressed immediately. And it feels like it's not being addressed immediately just so the plot can move forward. Yeah, my my initial thought with that particular instance. And I think really the entire aura around Milchek himself, right. Is that he is like a, a mitigator, right. Mm-hmm. He's meant to keep everything calm, cool and collected under wraps 
clearly there's a reason why they are keeping all of these departments separate right mm-hmm. uh, especially on the severed floor like they're they establish that there's really no interconnectivity there's no communication and so i think understanding all of the complications that they've had in mdr and understanding that they have been rebellious i think in that instance when irving shows up at bert's retirement party milchek is trying to diffuse the situation Mm -hmm. and and not cause a scene by like throwing him out or to make it seem worse uh than it than it is right to make it seem like there's all this stuff going on i think he's really doing it to um i i think it's really in that moment so he can sort of pull the wool over the eyes of everybody working in o and d you know he's just like putting on putting on a face making it seem uh you know less worse than it actually is well i mean an employer's worst nightmare is their workers unionizing so they split them up so they can't form a union and try to rebel against the company i feel like that also makes sense in terms of uh trying to figure out what Cobell and milchik's whole deal is right i mean i think we should start with milchik just because we're already talking about him it seems like him and Cobell are all like yes they're on the same team and both of their goals are to make sure these innies cooperate but I almost feel like their adversaries in terms of like trying to get ahead at work or they don't really trust each other there's some animosity there right or is that just me? no I sense it like when he had to kick Cobell out after she got fired yeah. by the board like I was waiting for him to be like express any kind of sadness or emotion but he was just like on your way and he just like shoved her box of things at her and she had to leave and you know she was having a meltdown during that so it's do you think though that that they were do you think they had animosity in like the first half of the season when they were both working together to you know keep everything under wraps whether it was Hallie's attempted suicide or um you know sending people to the break room they seem to be sort of harmonious to me, at least in the first half of the huh, season. Because her first name is Harmony. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the actor for Milchik, his name is Tramel Tillman, gave uh, an interview with, I believe it was Variety, where he said, "I have my own merit. No, I have my own narrative. I think that Milchik grew up in the Lumen world, just like Cobell. I believe that he found a mentor in Cobell and was able to blossom and grow and learn from her tutelage. And he believes in such principles so much." He is the Lumen Man, and I think he has so many aspirations that are so much greater than where he is at the moment, but he is a devotee to Lumen and will do anything. And I feel like um, Cobell has that same kind of blind faith, but there's yeah. some there's something in between them that, like, in the pilot to Severance, there's a, when they're first going to Cobell's office, there's a clip where he, Milchik and... Mark are walking to the offices for the first time and we're going to meet uh we're going to meet Harmony or Cobell in Patricia Arquette's character. Last time you saw Miss Cobell, she was in her old office. Now she's in her new office. It's a completely different office. What's this about? She'd never say so, but I know a compliment about the office would just make her day. Shut the thing. Nice office. Ugh, it's horrid. 
Yeah, the old one was better. She has a new office. I feel like that in and of itself is a sign that she's either been promoted or demoted. And Milchik knows it. And it's almost like he wants to mess with her with that comment, right? Or am I reading too much into this? I don't know. I'm so confused by this. It seems like such a throwaway comment to me. I'm not sure. I'm listening to that now. I I agree with you. I mean, I was under the the thought that just like you said, just like Milchek's mm-hmm. real life actor said that he is a lumen man, and my thought was just that you know he is so devoted to lumen that he has no allegiance to her, and actually the opposite effect where like he would be so upset with her for failing at her duties when she got fired, right? Um, because of his strong allegiance to the company, but I don't know. There, there's a bit of snark, I think, in that in that comment, at least trying to, um, you know, unravel her or, or get under her skin at the very least. Um, I think that it. I mean, you could be reading. We all could be reading too much into it, but I do think. It, it posits a really interesting uh, premise. Yeah, when Ben Stiller was interviewed by Alan Seppenwall, he said that uh, he talked to the actor from Milchek on a lot of the choices that we made. He said, we talked a lot, but there are a lot of choices that he was making that sometimes I wasn't totally privy to. So I don't know what that, like, I feel like maybe we can't overread into what he said about what his take on his own character if it's not really backed up by Ben Stiller. But I don't know. I don't know. It's a type of show that I don't think you could read too little or too much into anything, <laughs> to be fair. I, I will say that um, I feel like the animosity between them, we're not imagining it. It's definitely there, especially when Milchek finds out that um, Cobell has been posing as Mrs. Selvig and kind of, you know, butting into Mark's Audi's business uh you know pretending to be a, a like a midwife or i don't really know like a baby coach yeah. <laughs> i don't have children a baby coach but you know what i mean like when he's when she's kind of butting into mark's sister's uh-huh. life and everything like that and when he finds out he's like you did what so clearly there's some kind of rule that lumen employees aren't supposed to meddle too much in the audi's lives and milchek we only see him doing it under extreme circumstances like to get find out where the card is from dylan and you know answering their phone calls whenever they have to call out sick or something so i don't know i I just there's so much about the staff like the the management that we don't know and i'm dying to learn more because it's we're so in the dark still yeah i think essentially right the three the three characters tasked with keeping mdr in their cage, right? Milchek, Miss mm-hmm. uh, Cobell, and Mr. Grainer, who's the security guard that uh, that gets killed. Um, you know, I think there's probably the slightest bit of distrust between the three of them, you know, probably right from the start. I, and I think you can sometimes see it whenever, uh, you know, something goes away, right? When Helly started having problems and was being rebellious uh i feel like milchak and the other security guard were like 
you know, kind of looking at each other like, come on, guy, like you, you got to handle this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And in any sort of workplace, right, in terms of managers and leadership, when the going gets rough, I think more people start to point fingers, right? And I mean, the the entire season, it just deteriorates and deteriorates and d- deteriorates. So maybe not from the start was there a ton of animosity, but by the end, um, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing going on because I'm sure Milchek sees her as incapable of doing her job and she's his boss, right? Essentially. Um, and he probably sees her as an incapable leader and thinks he could be doing better. There are, I mean, obviously the theory is also that Cobell has a huge like God level respect for Kira and Lumen. And you know, she has her own shrine to Kira in her house. I did see, uh, there's a YouTuber whose handle, I guess if you call that, sorry, I don't watch YouTube, but I think they're called handles account, username, (laughs) whatever their think story on YouTube. Um, they have a theory that Cobell actually isn't super into Kira and is actually trying to take Lumen down because when you see Cobell's own house or Harmony's house, whatever you want to call her, you get a shot of a breathing tube and a hospital tag that says Charlotte Cobell on it, uh, which could be her mom. Yeah. And this all ties to the Lexington letter, which we have to get into. We should probably talk about that right after this. Uh, but essentially... They think that she's trying to get revenge on Lumen by taking it down. I don't understand why at the end of the finale then she would be so determined to saving. Because were you guys so convinced that when she was telling Audi Mark, like, yeah, you should quit. Like, they suck. And then the minute she realized that any Mark was there, I really thought she was going to be like, oh, I didn't hear anything. But no, she immediately ran to Milchek. I was so upset with her. Because my my thought on that situation is that, I mean, and I, you know, haven't really read too much into the whole hospital breathing tube thing. I was under the impression, you know, that she worships Kier and Lumen, mm-hmm. and she loved her job and was so devastated by losing it. I think initial reaction, you know, due to her anger, she was probably like, yeah, Mark, you should quit, you know, and and is pushing him in that direction. But then once that alarm bell goes off in her her head and she realizes that it's like any Mark at the party, I think she probably seizes that as an opportunity to be like, okay, Harmony Cobell is going to save the day. She's going to prove her worth to the company and get her job back. the creator of Severance and lover of all things Synergy. Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus released (laughs) a book on Apple Books because you got to love that Synergy uh, that tells a story about a woman who basically bypassed the code detectors at Lumen um, and was able to reach her Audi and basically got a story to the newspaper. 
Um, the book is bonkers. I mean, it's very it's a very short read if anyone is interested in reading it, but I can basically uh, summarize it for you. So the author of the book, she basically it's a girl named Peggy who used to work at Lumen. Prior to working at Lumen, she was a bus driver. There was like an event where she basically skidded over black ice and had to get rescued and was like terrified about killing all of these kids. And she says this is a direct quote from the book. I distinctly remember thinking to myself, fuck this job. I may have even said it out loud. I'm not sure, but I either thought it or I said it. And right at that moment, as if I as if they heard me, this ad came on the radio. It was an employment recruiting ad and they were really vague about the job. Lots of flowery talk about making history and rethinking the notion of work. I was sort of tuning out until the end when I heard the name of the company, Lumen Industries. I knew who they were. I've been using their deodorant since puberty, but I didn't know they had a branch in Topeka. Okay, let's pause there because there's already so much to unpack. Oh, deodorant and Topeka. So that means there's other branches outside the one that we have. And also, Tart, like, I I think it's very interesting, the sentence. I remember thinking to myself, fuck this job. I may have even said it out loud, but I'm not sure. I don't think she did say it out loud. I think she probably thought it. And Lumen is, like, already reading people's minds or something like that, right? Right. Because why have that sentence in the book? I don't know. Maybe maybe she has, you know, I, I'm sorry. I can't remember. Did you say if she was severed or not? This was prior to being severed. This is her getting like. She, she wrote it before she, she was she, severed. No, no, no. This is OK. The book is after she's being severed. The excerpt okay. from this book about how she got into this bus yeah. accident and was thinking about changing jobs. That's pre-severance. She's like. I hate this job, and then she she thinks I hate this job, or maybe yeah. she says it out loud, and then she hears an ad about right. the on the radio. Yeah, I mean, it could just be that her memory is foggy from being severed and then and then unsevered, and I think like it's not a it, it's not a particularly unusual sentence. Like you could imagine it in other TV and movies uh or you know other television shows and movies like somebody saying i can't remember if i said it or i just thought it but Mm -hmm. um but in severance you have to like (laughs) really dive in and think about whether that is is real or not so fast forwarding on in the book basically uh peggy's innie is able to transfer a code coded message out of lumen because when she was a kid her and her sister had like a fake language of like drawings it was like hieroglyph hieroglyphics or whatever um and somehow like in peggy's thought she's able to access this language even though obviously she has no memory of having a sister or creating the language so that's how they start communicating with each other and her any mentions that she finished a file called lexington at 2 30 p.m one day that was particularly difficult later that day the Audi saw a news report about a Dorner Therapeutics truck, a competitor of Lumen, blowing up at exactly 2.32 p.m. Two people burned alive in that truck, four others died, and there was no explanation or terrorist group claiming credit for the attack. And then here's another direct quote from the book. It all seems like too much of a coincidence, doesn't it? Is that why the numbers are making the Innies feel things? Because they're dropping bombs or blowing things up from down there? I feel like that would be a stretch of like categorizing numbers creating bomb explosions. But yeah, I do think the biggest takeaway from this book that you just mentioned is that um, obviously innies are retaining some subconscious things from their outies, mm-hmm. uh, as in, you know, like you just said, Peggy in this book, being able to remember a secret code from her childhood that she doesn't remember in the show. We have Irving 
imagining and hallucinating black goop you know and we find out he's actually an obsessive painter who's painting of black paint painting something that he's seen as an any at lumen uh the hallway that goes down to the testing floor where we see miss casey go down to so i think that's like really like the biggest takeaway that i'm getting from that book is like oh here's like a here's gonna be like a plot device in the next season is that they remember certain things from each other's lives and the chip is not foolproof like i think lumen thinks it is yeah well then okay just to wrap up the book discussion she basically writes about how uh the Audi commu- tries to communicate with the Innie, saying, at, basically telling her about the truck blow up, and then she doesn't hear from her Innie for weeks and months, and she starts to get very, very concerned until one day she gets a letter from her Innie um, that says, leave now, go somewhere safe, they will try to follow, nothing they say is real, distribute the training booklet, answers are there if you look, thank you for my life, you are the best part of it, I'll be with you always. Oh, no. Which is so sad. But anyway, so she... Audi version sends all of this information to the news and there's an uh, person that gets the tip who forwards the tip over to her editor whose name is Jim M. (gasps) Could that M be Milchik? Anyway, the editor writes back saying, I called over to a source that I trust implicitly at Lumen. I don't know, your brother, Seth Milchik? And it sounds like she was let go because of too many absences. Then the editor writes back saying, are you sure? Like, this story might be really interesting. I think there's something to look into there. Uh, and then Jim, the editor, responds saying, oh, I think we might be too late anyway, and sends the obituary for Peggy and has the caption. Not to sound too harsh here, but this might be for the best. It's not like we want to get into a libel suit with Lumen. You re- you may remember what happened with the Nashville Tribune when they printed what they thought was a well-sourced expose on Lumen's feeding tubes. They got sued into oblivion and folded six months later. The feeding tubes that we also have seen in Harmony Cobell's house labeled with her mom's name. So is there an issue with those feeding tubes that ended up killing Harmony's mom? And that's why she wants to get revenge with Lumen. There's so like there's so much there to unpack. Oh my God. I so I have my biggest takeaway from from this letter Um, and bear me with me here because I'm about to go on a on a soliloquy. But I don't know what that means. A soliloquy is like a long-winded speech, you know, in like a <laughs> okay. in like a play. Wait, can't you do um, that? You know, Shakespeare. <laughs> um, but regardless, and I'll try and be coherent as possible as my mind rambles. But you know, with all the details that she just shared in terms of working for Lumen and there being other branches, and then we we learn from uh, from Helena, right? Holly's Audi. Uh, when she says, I thought I had like 100,000 brothers and sisters because my dad said we were all family. So clearly Lumen is a very big organization, right? And I think it's sort of a mirror on our reality or at least a commentary about how a lot of these you know, mega corporations in the world are conglomerates of so many other companies, right? Where media companies are owned and and operate you know with other services and it's like everyone has a a hand and a foot in some other kind of business right and it's like you know people say like oh there's five companies that actually run the entire world and one day amazon is gonna 
be more of a U.S. government than the U.S. government will even be. Um, and so that's essentially, I think, what it's sounding like to me is that Lumen really is absolutely everywhere in these people's lives. No, I mean, they are super... I think you can tell that they work everywhere just like in the pilot, right? When, first of all, we know from Peggy that she uses Lumen deodorant. In the pilot, somebody's like... Do you design the medicines? No. I thought Lumen was more on the tech side of things. They began in the 1800s. Really? Topical cells, Hmm. right? What don't they make? (laughs) When he's at the dinner, that's Mm -hmm. not really a dinner. So they obviously do everything, and obviously they're strong, powerful enough to, I think, get Peggy killed. I think the author of that book was definitely murdered by Lumen and not just died accidentally. Yeah, and so I think then you begin to tie in right like this vision of Kier and their principles and it really is i think essentially like a plan to to you know run all of society in in this vision of what an ideal i mean i guess ideal society lo- would look like but what control over everybody looks like and then you you factor in what the letter said about the bomb, right? And it mm-hmm. makes you think about, okay, what is MDR doing with all of the numbers? My idea is that it's always been some some form of, of culling, right? Culling the idea of like weeding out a, a population. I, they're, they're weeding out something, right? By taking out all of those numbers. And I actually think it doesn't really matter what it is right but it's just the idea behind what they're doing and i think that part of the reason why they're severed like severance is presented to people is this opportunity to remove themselves from from their thoughts and their feelings and and things like that but i think severance is really a ploy for security a ploy for secrecy because whatever they're doing in MDR, I don't think they can risk the you know people yeah. taking that back to their home lives. So is this where we talk about what we think Lumen is doing? Sure. Oh yeah, because um, I noticed something. What's up? Uh, on the numbers on the computers, and then I found an article talking about the same thing. But I like paused it forever when I was watching Helly put numbers into bins. Um, every time she put something into a bin. It would fill up a little tiny bar in the bin, and there were four bars, and there was W O F C D R M A, and um, Egan's four like tempers or like you know that speech he gives is woe, frolic, dread, and malice, and all those like initials match up to the four tempers. So like, and and they also sorry they also line up to the feeling that you get from each number. Right, hold on. So it's like the numbers that make you feel melancholy and despair line up with woe. The numbers that make you feel joy is frolic. The scary numbers are dread. And the rage, angry numbers are malice. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Just wanted to tie that all together. No, I like that you added to it. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, my theory is like maybe I don't know what they're doing. It's it's so weird because they're just sorting numbers. So I don't really like understand like how it impacts anything. But maybe they're like aiding in 
like some kind of production towards like the severance chips themselves i don't oh interesting i'm almost 85 percent convinced that they're cloning people either they're trying to make a clone of cure or they're cloning themselves because in the pilot right there's all of those empty rooms and uh mark says that we're preparing for a really big expansion and then Listen, there's severance is one thing, but if my task at work is to sort numbers that are going to elicit an emotional response in my own mind, obviously they're doing something to track and clone my mind, right? They're trying to see what causes woe and what causes fear. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like all of these things together. And then the goats, uh, the first cloned mammal was a sheep. And so goats are kind of similar to sheep. Maybe they're trying to clone goats first to see if, you know, they can be successful. And then before they take it to humans or something like that. Oh, so weird. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they're like picking out like traits in DNA sequences and and stuff like that. It's, It's interesting because like my thought on what they've been doing has like changed over the course of watching the show you know Mm -hmm. at first i don't know i was taking more of a a gentle approach and was thinking that severance was like a sort of double entendre right severance of course meaning their procedure of of severing their mind but then also the idea of severance like if you get fired from your job right you get severance pay Mm -hmm. um and so i thought maybe it was like some sort of hr thing where they it's like a business model that by picking out the numbers they're basically choosing people to get fired right and it's like you know this idea that they're purely looking at numbers or performance or something to to weed out workers um and make businesses more efficient so that was like my initial thought but it's weird that it's your own mind right like i feel like that's why it has to be whatever they're doing has to be specific to themselves yeah sorry as time went on i didn't mean to cut you off well i was gonna say as as time went on then i definitely thought that it involved killing people somehow (laughs) (laughs) well okay also the opening theme is all of those marks Right. Like, yeah. Why is that there? Uh, unless it's one of those things where they're like, we're just going to throw something weird out there and people are going to love it. It's super fucking weird. No, I think everything has a meaning. In yeah, it has like, to even, have a meaning. Even like, you know, the, the one of the weirdest sequences is when Helly is trying to reach quota. And then when she finally does that weird, like pixelated scene comes of Kier Egan. He's like, oh, like he's on a mountain. He's like, oh, my child, like you did it. And then I love when the animated Egan goes, I I love you. Yeah. I have to go. Bye. And, then and he flies away. I highly recommend rewatching that scene and just watching Irving's face because he's the, the one of the four who is like the most attached to Kira. Yeah. It's kind of heartbreaking to just watch his face, watch Kira tell Helly that he loves her and fly away. It's like both funny was... and deeply sad. That's why I fucking love the show. <laughs> also so weird to now know that that animated like Kira Egan talking to Helly is actually like talking to his granddaughter. <laughs> so weird it is weird and it's weird that when they meet in person right he's like i can't believe what your innie tried to do for to you like she is a her innie her dad yeah Yeah. her so it the way they talk about their innies it's like they have disdain for their innies you know they're not real people so i mean so does helena i mean in the videos helena's like you are not a person like don't you ever try to do anything to my hand like ever again 
I was like, ooh. Even, even Dylan, when they first uh, – the first time you see his Audi where, like, they start the overtime procedure and then they go back to real life – He's like, we done here to Milchik as if like he doesn't want anything involved with his innie's life. There's like a sense of disdain to his voice. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talk about character growth for Dylan going from like, I'm just in it for the finger traps, guys, to like literally when he's holding the two knobs and Milchik is like, I'll tell you your other two kids' names. A true he just, hero. Like, he loves perks, but in the end, he's like, no, fuck you. I have friends now. Oh, uh, Speaking of perks, should we talk about the... Waffle party or the defiant jazz <laughs> of it all. I mean, the waffle party is much weirder. Um, let's start. Okay, let's start with the waffle party. Um, this is a quote from Severance creator Dan Erickson to Variety. He said, "Honestly, it all started as a joke in the writers' room that we then developed into something that we thought was really interesting. It all comes down to the commodification of sex and intimacy, and that this is a world where you're not supposed to express any sexuality amongst your coworkers, and yet they have to give their employees that outlet because they may be having sexual experiences on the outside but not know it. So it's a way for Lumen to take that human need and turn it sort of into a pro-Lumen thing." Erickson also added, "It's like." You're having sex and you're wearing a mask of the founder of the company. So you're sort of playing his version of Taming of the Four Tempers, which is the photo that you see in the second episode. So you can have sex and it's not wrong. It's not dirty because it's all about Lumen and it's a refer- and it's all about his reverence for Kier Egan. So like almost tying sex to Kier, right? If you if you are sexually aroused while dressed as Kier, it's almost like right, you're going to obviously experience joy and pleasure. But in this version that you're experiencing joy and pleasure, you're wait, you are basically Kier. He's wearing like a Kier mask, so it's almost like it's it's drawing it's tying a direct correlation in this person's mind who has technically never had sex between the pleasure of sex and Kier, and it's almost like Kier equals pleasure. Wait, so that wasn't just like a striptease thing? Were they like actually gonna have sex with? Was that I don't know, like an orgy on the founder's bed. I hate everything about that. Oh my god! <laughs> but it is really interesting, right? That they're literally yeah. like I mean, cults always use sex, and this is actually oh, showing. I'm glad we finally said that word because this is all like that's all I can think of when I think of Lumen. Is this is a cult uh, disguised as a company, and yeah, I like that. I think they integrate the cultish aspects into it really well. I don't really get why he had to like eat the waffles first though and then was like now you get to- well so I think uh I, I don't know if it was Ben Stiller or Dan Erickson that said that uh we're not sure if Mark has ever had a waffle party uh and then Adam Scott said I think Mark experienced a waffle party the question is are all waffle parties the same do they consist of the same ceremony as you know I was not in that scene but I did come to set to watch I had to watch the waffle party Dan and Ben tried to explain to me a couple of times what they were going to do and I was like what I needed to see it and oh boy was it an experience (laughs) (laughs) I love Adam Scott so much oh my god (laughs) yeah my that was my initial feeling watching it is that Maybe he seemed a little surprised by the after dinner entertainment, mm-hmm. um, or at least you know, it seems it just seems so normal. Like with everyone else talking about, it, like, oh yeah, we're gonna give Dylan the waffle party. He really, he really enjoys that, and it's just like for it to deviate that much from all the other perks, which are like so simple minded, like finger traps and the little 
uh, erasers, the erasers and the little portraits made of glass and the egg party. Well, so the portrait made of glass is not a um, prize. Just they make a very clear point about ah, it. They just gave it to Mark. They just gave it to him. Yeah. Then Dylan gets one. But of everyone. But then, you know, you get to listen to music for five minutes. All You know, all these prizes and celebrations are, like, so, like, small scale. But because, you know, these people in there, the innies, have no outside concept of, like, of pleasure and happiness. Like, it's the greatest thing to them. Yeah. Um, so my thought is that, yeah, with this situation with Dylan... Maybe it was a bit different considering everything that has been happening over the course of the previous few episodes. I do feel like if you if you had to manage a group of individuals that could never see the outside world, blah, 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 but know what sex is and like you almost like need to have provide that experience at some point. Right. In terms of like the hierarchy of needs, yeah. because eventually they're going to be like let us out you know but like take a look at irving and bert right like touching oh, hands and it take was like a look at them they touch hands and it was like the biggest fucking thing like oh, you know to sorry. them so that seems like such a leap to go from that to the waffle party you know yeah i i'll be i'll admit i just fully don't understand it yet and i i don't know if we're gonna understand it in later seasons question mark um but yeah, I didn't get it because they were so like gung ho on no office romances with Burton Irving. So I don't really get the symbolism of it. And I think that's okay because I don't get a lot in this show. <laughs> I mean, I think even weirder and by weirder, I mean, this one has, I feel like less of an explanation than the explanation for like, yeah, you need to provide sexual gratification for people that are never going to actually experience it uh, is the defiant jazz sequence where they do a little dance party because they have re- reached 75% of their quota. Mike and I actually got into a tussle about this because I was like, that was so fucking weird. I hated it. And Mike was like... I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, do you want to defend it? Well, I just... I think I loved it more from an aesthetic perspective. Like, I just loved all of the lights and the music and that it was kind of weird that it was just like four people in a big empty room enjoying their defiant jazz. Um, and I do think what I took away from it, right. And it goes back to this discussion about all of their perks for doing a job well done is that to me, music is one of the most powerful things I think in the entire world, right? Like sometimes people ask, would you rather live without television or live without music and that's a tough choice don't get me wrong i don't but think like, it's a tough choice for the truth. power <laughs> the power of the power of sound right like to to imagine a world without music to me is so devastating right that i think the joy of getting to listen to music for a couple of minutes would be like a massive reward right because they don't have they don't have a concept of what music is in the outside world they don't know any bands or singers or they definitely don't know even lyrics because it's all instrumental music that they're listening well it's to. interesting to even to um, see their different way that they the different ways the innies dance because it's not like they have memory of following other people dancing or know how to dance and like mark dances so much more different than Helly from you know what i mean it's just 
They're expressing themselves yeah. like Michael Scott on the booze cruise. Um, <laughs> but it, it, in general, it, it raises a really big question and I don't think there's a clear answer to it. And it, you know, you could argue it's a, a plot hole in some sense, but the idea of a severed person, right? What level of understanding and experience do they have? Like, what do they keep and what do they lose by being severed, right? So, like, Irving, he kind of struggles to drive the car. It, that was, at first. I thought that was one of the most remarkable parts of the finale, which is like, John Turturro representing this man who knows how to drive but has no memory of ever driving. Like, and so weird. Too. Or just the fact that he feels cold. Like, he's never actually felt cold before, you know, because of the way Lumen works. Like, all of these different things that they've never... They're literally children, you know? And that's why... I think that's why Milchik and Cobal treat them certain ways because to them, they are these dumb little kids who don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was... Crazy to see, like, the just the muscle memory of, you know, his body knew how to drive. Mm-hmm. His mind maybe didn't, but he picked up on it so quickly because it was, like, muscle memory. Before we move on yeah. to much from Defiant Jazz, I did see an interview with Ben Stiller where he basically admitted to thinking it was, like, a cool idea and then building the story around it, which is, like, what I told you. I was like, it was just too weird for me. And basically he said, let's do the music dance experience. I thought it would be a fun, weird thing that could happen in the show. But Dan, the creator of the show, he wanted a reason, a story reason for why to do that. And then we had to figure out the right music, the combination of elements, etc. So it seemed like the idea came first and then they built story around it, which it was fine. Like, I understand, Mike, why you liked it, but... For me, it felt weird, and it did feel like something that was incepted in. I think I think it worked because it was a good way to show, like, oh, look, like, they're enjoying this perk. Usually Dylan would love this perk, but Dylan just found out that he has a kid. He doesn't know his name, so he was pissed that Milchek was trying to, like, give them a perk when all he wanted was, like, no, I want to know my kid's name. So then, obviously, once Milchek was in his face, he snapped and then bit him, which was really funny. I get that, but what I don't get is why, he- like – for me as an outside viewer, it was weird. Like, I was like, what the hell is going yeah. on, right? And for I mean, the entire time we've been watching the show, Heli is our POV, what the hell is going on, this is weird character. So the fact that Heli was getting into it for me is what sketched me out. True. It's like, I don't understand what's going on here. And then even while we're talking about Dylan being skeeved that he has a kid, that plot device of, like, Milchik starting the overtime protocol because he needed to know where Dylan put that key, right? It That... Where that Dylan put that key never comes back. It really felt like, oh, Dylan needs to figure out he has a son and this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Listen, I still love this show, but there are some moments where you're like, oh, this was put in here because they needed to move the plot forward. Or else why, like, why else did Milchik have to start the overtime protocol and ask Dylan that night? I mean, uh, you know, my whole thing is maybe it'll be addressed in season two. I I mean, I think a lot will be addressed in season two. I think that even the, uh, you know, we're talking about how they introduce the concept of reintegration and then never talk about it again. I feel like that will be a major theme of season two because. Yeah, there's so many loose ends. Like we still have that woman who helped Petey out on the loose on the outside world. Now any Mark knows about uh, Miss Casey being his dead wife. (laughs) Um, Is she though? Oh, for sure. They're the same same person. Do you think she's a different person? You think she's cloned already? (gasps) I don't know. (laughs) So, Uh. well, on the topic of Gemma, right? Mark has 
said that he's been working at Lumen for two years because his uh, wife died two years ago. But when Miss Casey and Mark are in their wellness session together, she says that her life has only been 107 hours long, which divides out to about four days. So they've either reset her a ton of times, right? They brought her back to the testing floor to, like, make her a brand new person, not remember any of her memories. Or is she a clone? Well, I mean, obviously she's been to the testing room before. And when Milchek sends her down there, like, you can tell that she really doesn't want to go because I think she's been – she knows what it is, right? So she goes down there – I don't know. We were discussing this off the pod earlier, but, like, we're kind of all at a loss of, like, what is the testing room? Is it – or the testing floor? Is it – I think it's just where they reset cloned? your memories. I think it's – that's what I think it is, too. I think that – I do think that workers have been – the innies have been reset before. I think when they learn things that they shouldn't – but then my question is, well, then why didn't they, like, reset the entire MDR department when they started misbehaving? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that... I don't know. I think that there must be a reason why they want Gemma specifically almost because if you look at all of that... I mean, we don't know much about Irving, but I think Helena and Dylan both have a little bit of disdain for their innies. Mark seems to be the only Audi who is actually protecting his innie by doing severance, right? Because his Audi is still depressed. His innie can live a life of happiness by not grieving, whereas all of the innies, Helly and Dylan, are a little, you know... Not as into it. So I feel like, why why do they need Mark? Like, did they take Gemma intentionally because they wanted Mark to join Severance? Like, they needed him to be know. grieving? It just shows yeah. that Mark is special somehow because Cobell goes out of her way to pretend to be his next-door neighbor. So I'm like, yeah, what is... Like, that's a big question I think we'll find out is what yeah. is it about Mark? Why is he special? Why'd they take his wife? Like, yeah. Well, and so... It, it actually makes me think back to the whole Lexington discourse, right? When she says, I can't remember if I said mm-hmm. I hate my job or if I just thought it, right? So it's like, what happened with Mark? Because obviously his wife died and then he tried, he tried to go back to teaching. And then it was like, how did Lumen and Severance present itself to him, right? And of course it, it very well could be this whole elaborate plot and then it's like you know if they wanted to get him in there right and they go about creating a car crash and quote-unquote you know killing off his wife to make him depressed you know it i really want to just learn so much more about it because it's like when somebody dies not to get morbid here but when somebody dies in a car crash it's like you typically have to identify the body the body right so it's like how did they go about creating this this massive plot to to get essentially both of them in there right and it's like who does who is more integral to the situation um her or him is it maybe they only need him in there by way of her going in there right because it's like She's much more integrated in the sense that she is in there. She's down, uh, you know, on the, I'm sorry, what's it called? The what floor? The The testing testing floor. floor. The testing floor. You know, so she's down there. She's on the testing floor and everybody on the outside world 
is under the assumption that she's just completely gone. She's dead. So it seems like she's sort of maybe further along the process in terms of what they're doing, whether it is cloning people and, and severing people, where Mark is still living both lives. So it's like, is Mark just a byproduct? Maybe he wasn't the target. Maybe getting Mark in there and being severed is just to, I guess, keep that situation with her under control, right? Because it's like he's so depressed on the outside world that he forgets about half of his life being an innie. Yeah, it's also important to know um, Cobell and Milchek both make a note. So when they send him to that last wellness session, they're monitoring them and Miss Casey is like telling Mark like, you know, the eight hours I spent monitoring Helly and spending time with you guys was like the happiest time of my life. Those were my good old days oh, that broke my heart. I was so sad. But then you had Cobell and Milchek watching and talking and being like, see, the chips work. They don't remember each other. So it's obvious that Cobell and Milchek have enough understanding about their like lives outside of Lumen that they both were married that they you know like obviously knew each other because i don't know how much they like how much background they did on mark but they clearly know like I mean, I, they, yeah they took... I, i'm sure it's a ton yeah so it's i i wonder if in the... lumen and, and i wonder if cobell and milchek were the ones behind that whole thing who, who's who knows but de- behind the accident yeah and behind like, like them specifically i mean her. i think lumen definitely was i mean like cobell and milchek like specifically i don't know i think it, it raises the question in terms of like you know them as a company having this ability to um you know create these plots that kill Gemma, and you know they have all of, they have like all this lumen housing where they clearly have it all set up and you know like mrs selvig is mark's neighbor all of this stuff right and we were referring to it as a cult, and it's like, you know, okay, Lumen is a cult. It's got all these people. And then on the outside world, of course, there's the other mm-hmm. faction fighting against it that that think it's wrong. But I guess, like, the overarching question in my mind is, I guess, how how prominent are they exactly? Like, I wonder what the public opinion is on Lumen and and on Severance, and it's like, and how integrated are they into society as a cult, you know? Like, are they the majority or are they just really powerful? It's pretty prominent. And it doesn't when seem uh, like it be. I mean, I think they're really powerful. It seems like they're trying to wiggle their way into the government's favor. Because as you see, there's that senator who's pro-severance, mm-hmm. which seems like that's a minority thing that he's pro-severance. I mean, there are people that are protesting it, yeah. so that means it's big enough for people to be against. It's big enough supported for people to be against it. And there's even a scene where, uh, when Mark is on the date with that girl who's a uh, um, his sister's yeah. doula, they walk past a store that says like "Severance Compliant Clothes Sold Here." So it's like big enough for you know malls mm. to make their branding about it. Um. And severance compliant clothes, they, like, if you look in the training handbook, which is at the end of the Lexington letter book, it says, like, you can't wear anything with a logo on it. You know, it has to wear n- neutral colors because, you know, they don't want your enemies to learn anything about the outside world. I'm really hoping we get more insight on what the above ground floors that Lumen do. 
and what those were. I think they do literally everything. I think though. they do everything, but I what it's looking like is they do everything that's okay for the public to know, and then the severance workers do all of the questionable shit that might be yeah. the seedy stuff. And obviously, it works wonders for Lumen because their own workers can't remember what they're doing. It's weird that in the pilot, Devin, Mark's sister, says, I'm proud of you for taking that job, and I know she would be too. Because why? Like, if I was somebody's sister, I'd be like, don't sever yourself. That sounds terrible. But it seems like both Gemma and Devin had a positive enough view of Lumen or Severance or everything to, like, be proud of Mark for doing that, which, I mean, maybe it's because it's so brave. I don't know. But it's interesting that she uses the word proud. Maybe it's, I mean, maybe that she's just alluding to the fact that it's a great company. Like, I mean. Is it, though? Well, we know that it's not, but maybe it's a powerhouse company. Maybe he's getting paid well. I don't know. I just don't see, knowing what we know about Gemma and Dylan, I don't think that's why they would be proud of him. Devin, yeah. right? Like, why yeah. would you be proud of somebody? Is it like a selfless thing? Maybe it does. It, it wouldn't be money. Like, I don't think Devin's like, I'm so proud of you for making four times what you were making last year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think she was just trying to say anything to a depressed man to make him feel better. <laughs> That's yeah. Maybe we're overreading into the word, the literal singular word "proud" that was used in the pilot of the season. <laughs> it is interesting because her husband is it. Rick? Rickin. 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 Yeah. Rickin. Yeah. Reminds me of Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> Both because, idiots. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because Rickon, um, he he has run-ins with Mark, right? And you see him apologize in the finale. Um, but, you know, he's sort of critical of Mark becoming severed. And I guess Devin is sort of like the mediator between the two of them, right? Like maybe mm-hmm. – Maybe she isn't actually a fan of him being severed, but, you know, she's protecting him from the criticism that goes along with that, right? Because it's like, he's in pain, and that's the reason why he severed himself, was because of the pain of his wife's death. So I think, like, maybe that's why she's saying that she's proud of him, is that He's like trying to mitigate it. He's trying to do something about it. And and he maybe she's just proud of him because he made a really big decision that was probably extremely difficult to make. On the topic of Rickon, love his book, oh The God. You You Are, uh, which essentially radicalizes all of the innies. My favorite line is when uh, they like quote the book and Dylan's like, page 117 is the bomb. <laughs> I love. So my big thing that I was stressing about in the finale was I just needed Mark to tell someone who he was and he kept letting everyone be like oh yeah go take care of the baby oh yeah go take that little like drip thing for your throat uh whatever I was like dying I was like (laughs) Mark but then when he's finally talking to Rickon he does say like your book changed my entire life and Rickon thinks he's talking to Audi Mark and he's like shut up I know it didn't but I'm so happy that Devin now knows that, that was any Mark at the party because now she's going to tell Rickon, yeah. yeah, you were talking to any Mark. And then Rickon's going to be like, I inspired a workplace revolution. Like, my book works. It's goofy, right? It's obviously a joke, but it's also really, really interesting concept about, like, 
these people for the first time probably learning about the concept of free will, right? Yes. He like reads the line like your job needs you and he's like, oh, like this is a new novel idea. It's like, it honestly kind of finally explains the enlightenment to me. Like I never really fully understood the enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, I guess this was just not a thought that people had before. And all of a sudden well, I was like, oh, I have I rights. I mean, genuinely <laughs> like, like it just makes me think of like historically people – for a long time weren't able to get their hands on a lot of different thoughts and ideologies and like information especially if you were like you know poor and couldn't read and didn't have access like i think now we're like haha that concept is so funny to us because we all have smartphones in our hands we can read Mm -hmm. whatever we want we are so like bombarded by constant information ideas opinions but to like the workers exactly it's like enlightenment it's like oh this is like They've been so monitored, and the only reading they've been allowed to do is anything about Keir Egan. Yeah. That to have, like, an outside text. Like, they are essentially in a cult, and they were raised in a cult, and now they get to see an outside perspective, and it did, like, actually change his life. And it, it, it is funny, because I we're probably, like, that book is mediocre at best. Sorry, Rickon. But for these people, this is, like, it's everything. Yeah. But also, right, like, the idea of religion, right, and how religion started and and people especially if you look at um you know the deviations between christianity judaism and islam right Mm -hmm. all sort of deviating from the same source um and how people sort of how those religions came to be and how people get caught up sort of with um the ideology and and it gets you know i don't drilled i guess into into their minds into their beliefs very much so like the you know the ideologies of Kier is is drilled into these workers i just watched uh martin scorsese's the last temptation of christ the other night uh would recommend it but you know watching that film i was i actually thought of severance a little bit in terms of seeing all of these people in you know, thousands of years ago, like start to follow Christ and and get behind him. And then how, you know, the conflict that you would see between the followers of Christ and all of these other people, you know, who the Romans who were against it. Um, There's just so many, there's so many parallels and um, metaphors in this show. It's really, really something. I mean, this show... I think this is what I love about this show. There's there's so much commentary on, like, you know, the workplace, uh, capitalism, corporations, like, work-life versus social life balance. Um, uh, Dave Gonzalez on Fighting in the War Room pointed out how it does the double uh, meaning of labor, where you can sever yourself from work labor, but also giving birth labor. Yep. A commentary on that which i did by the way i was texting mike and kate about this because i personally you know what never mind yeah, oh. also <laughs> um but no no go ahead finish your thought oh i was just gonna say and the most like in the show with all of its twists and turns and shocks and everything i think to me the most like gut-wrenchingly sad part about this show is if an innie retires, if some, if somehow if their Audi is able to figure out what's going on and stop going to Lumen, a person's dying 
It's, yeah. you know, a person, uh, an innie is basically dying. They stop existing. And that is, like, what I think is going to be such a central, like, thing going into the rest of the show is the fact that, like, these people are, they're real people. We've watched them, you know, live and struggle and laugh together, cry together, all this stuff. But eventually, either they're going to reintegrate with their other selves or they're going to die. And yeah, it's so sad to think about, like, they're, they're not dying, but they are but dying. And then, like, what even is a what makes a person a person? Yeah. How much of it is your memories? You know. But also, like, yeah. think of it in the sense of retirement versus termination, right? Like, Bert retired, and they were all celebrating that with the party, and and then you know Irving's like, "You're all just gonna let him die like this." Whereas, if you think of it conversely, with people who get fired, whether um, you know. I guess, I don't know if Petey was fired, but, you know, Petey leaves, and it's sort of like a surprise to all of them. And then um, uh, Mrs. – now I want to call her Mrs. Selvig, but – Miss Casey? Miss Cobell. Cobell. Oh. Uh, I know. See, I get the innies and outie names confused, but Miss <laughs> Cobell – So does Mark So in does the Mark, yes. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. But so Miss Cobell also gets terminated, and if you think about it, it's almost like she was murdered. Like if if the How? because if if somebody retiring is like voluntarily dying, but she's not severed. No, but they think they don't know that. Do they? Who's they? All Who? the other severed employees. I would I would assume if you were on the severed floor that you would assume everybody around you is severed. I feel like Helly is aware that Miltrick isn't severed, right? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess once Milchek visits uh, Dylan in his house, then he would know, yeah, that he's not severed. I don't know. I, I just always assumed that like you would think the other people around you are severed if you're on that floor. I could, I could understand that, but when Gemma is talking to Mark and she says like, "Oh, my whole life has been here. I never leave." Like that is new information that there are people like to Mark, right? That there are people that are fully severed. So. Mm. I guess that would be in your in favor of your theory that then it would also be information to him that he works with people that aren't severed. Well, I don't think that Gemma's fully severed. I think she's severed, but they're keeping her Audi locked up in there, which is very sad because Miss Casey is like, I've only been awake 107 hours. I'm like, which means Gemma is awake the rest of the time. And she's just probably like locked somewhere and can't leave. Which, which is that also raises a question to me of like people – who are severed how is that also i don't know how is your like real your audi life how is that satisfying because they always talk about like in the show right the innies are like oh yeah you just wake up and it's the next day and like sometimes you Mm -hmm. feel tired you know um but wouldn't the converse also be true is like if you're just waking up every day like what happens when you're any goes to work and then all of a sudden it's just like the same day oh, over and over and over again as an outing. I don't I don't understand how Mark is like I mean he's still depressed so obviously it didn't work but just like the the cinematography of it always being super dark in Mark's house he always gets out of work and it's already dark out like the oh yeah he never sees sunlight I, I guess. I hate that like I think I would go crazy if like I was an Audi and like I just only remembered like 6 p.m. to like 7 in the morning. Yeah. And like the 
the the the woman who's a mother, right? And she was saying, like, oh, what would we do without Severance? Because clearly she doesn't want to remember giving birth or or even being a mother, but or, or being pregnant or being pregnant. Essentially, my essentially my thought is like, wouldn't both forms of your life be kind of miserable, both as an any and as an Audi? Like, I can't imagine having a joyous Audi life. It's it's not like you're just shoving away all your problems onto your any. I uh, if you woke up hungover one morning, at, would you still go to work because you were like, I'm not gonna feel the hangover at work. I might as well go to work and shut myself off all day while I work off this hangover and then when I get back out I'll no longer be hungover well you would say that but the same would apply to like if you were sick right like Mark calls in sick but if you were sick why would it matter why wouldn't you just go to work that's exactly how I feel I'm surprised I mean so the Lumen handbook does say they like want to minimize um spreading germs that's why they're against fraternizing um I mean obviously Mm. there's other reasons that they're against fraternizing but it says it increases the chances of spreading disease. Remember, if our workflow suffers, then in the long run, so does the world. So really cultish behavior of like, if you don't participate at 100%, who knows what the fate of the world will be. Have y'all heard the theory that Rickon's friends or like followers of his book are formerly severed people? No, but I don't really get that. I mean, it's kind of interesting just how weird they are, right? Like uh, that one guy who like doesn't know that World War One wouldn't have been called World War One when it was originally um, fought, or at the end of the book, or sorry, at the end of the series, uh, at the end of the season. He's like, I found the baby, and he like really wants credit for having found the baby. It's like a weird cultish phenomenon almost. You know what I mean? Oh. I don't know. There's something there in that they're like so childish um, that it it feels – I mean, they could just be like – Lumen is one call, and Rickon's book is another call, and they're just attached to that call. But Oh, I definitely think his friends are just weird. Yeah, I just – I don't think reintegration is that – prominent at least by yeah what it well maybe not formally severed people who have been reintegrated but just like they're they're severed so they don't really have past memories but they exist in the normal world so they don't have a memory of you know does that make sense they wouldn't even remember being severed i feel like most severed people know that they're severed i mean i feel like people like severance is not like the only I think it's not legal. Yeah, I mean it is within Lumen, I guess, if they volunteer. So I don't think they're getting severed forcibly, and I don't think they would have severed themselves without working at Lumen. And they don't. I don't think any of them work at Lumen or even did in the past. I think they're just weird. Yeah. I think they just want to show that Rickon is weird and his friends are weird and Devin is like somehow married to that man. <laughs> they did write 40 to 50 pages of the actual book. Adam Scott said it was like tough to be like shooting the scenes where he's reading the book and not laugh out loud because he found it so amusing. And he also is trying to get mm. them to actually write the book, which oh I would God. buy. So listen, <laughs> Apple. I'd buy it. Speaking of speaking of the yeah. book in Rickon, have either of you ever seen Dinner for Schmucks? Yes, and I hated that movie. I saw okay. it in theaters. You know, it's one of my one of my all time favorites. Um, 
But Rickon kind of looks a little bit like Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> He and, does. And <laughs> I see it. In, in Dinner for Schmucks, Zach Galifianakis' character, who also dresses pretty similarly to Rick, like exactly like has, yeah. has a book called Your Mind is My Puppet. And it's like, it's pretty similar to, <laughs> to Rickon's book. That is great. We'll tweet a photo of Your Mind is My Puppet. Just to wrap up, I want to talk about the way the episode or the season ends. I think it is really fun that uh, Adam Scott was a big fan of the cliffhanger ending. He actually cited the season one finale of Lost, which also ends on a pretty big cliffhanger. And he's like, isn't it so fun? Um, but then he asked, uh, this was an interv- with an interview with Katie Rich at Vanity Fair. Did you notice what the very last sound of the episode is? Um, and she said she hadn't, but she went back to listen to it. And it is the ding of the elevator when you like return to the lumen severed floor is the last sound you hear in the season finale, which I feel like is a sign that like I my big concern is like, when will we see these innies again? And I feel like it's a sign that we'll start the season off with them back at lumen or at least one of them. Well, I, I just like don't understand how Devin's not gonna let Mark go back to work yeah. after what happened. So, but I'm curious if Audi Mark is gonna be like, no, any Mark has to go back and like, or if or if Audi any Mark told Devin enough about his relationships, if Devin was like, oh, there's people you care. Like Devin is my favorite character in the show. I think if she knows that yeah. his any has people he cares about there, she would be like, you should go help them. My big question is, is she gonna get enough off of? she's alive i feel like devin's smart enough to know exactly what that means because they only really have like mark only has like, one <laughs> dead woman in his life <laughs> that's like, that we really know about messing with him maybe that's he built frankenstein's so monster and is like she's alive yeah so i do think actually now i'm thinking about it i think devin's gonna be like you're any yelled she's alive what if that's Gemma? And then Mark's going to be like, obviously, I have to go back in. And any Mark has to go and try to figure mm-hmm. this out. So maybe he will go back. Yeah. I want to know what's going to happen with Bert and Irving, right? Oh, yeah. Because oh. presumably, oh. presumably, Irving is going to be, you know, Irving's going to be turned off. Any Irving is going to be turned off. And then Bert's going to answer the door and be like, who the hell are you? And, and, Irving's, and, like, and Irving's not even going to know why he's there. But, but it seems but like, it's Audi, like a madman. He's like a madman pounding on his door in the middle of the night. It seems like Audi. But now they're gonna have a contact with yeah. each other. I do think that now, because he's, and I do think that now Audi Burr and Audi Irving are gonna be intertwined in season two. Yeah. Um. So we're but just Audi Audi Irving of, did seem to know at least enough about him to have his name his address, circled on a yeah. map. So we'll see. But I I do love that juxtaposition now, where it's like any Burr and Irving. We're having this thing. And now, I mean, I know Bert is obviously living with another man, which complicates things. But you Don't know what? Don't break up a marriage, I think Irving Kate. should be a homewrecker. <laughs> no, I think Irving should go for it, be a homewrecker. And I think huh. him and Christopher Walken should embrace as Audis. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
Ben Stiller said that originally they were planning on going further and answering more questions, but I felt really strongly that there's something about the mystery of the show that you want to live in. It's that balance of answering enough questions, but not too many. We settled on this because, in a way, it was the most emotionally resonant idea. It's It seems like they chose the route, the same route that the Lost creators did when they were writing Lost, which is let's focus on these characters' relationships and not get into the answers to the questions that much, which is fine, but you do need to give us answers eventually. Well, it's going to be a long wait until season two. I don't know what we're going to do for the next presumably 10 months if it comes out the same time of year. Hopefully, we can get some more answers in season two. We'll have plenty of time to work through these theories. It's actually a big fear of mine is that it's going to be Game of Thrones all over again and people are going to have way too much time on their hands to figure everything out in the meantime. But until then, this is Chaos on the Set. I've been Mike. You can follow me on Letterboxd at mricardi, not on my Twitter because it's private. I'm on Twitter. You can follow me at k underscore Wyatt. Uh, you, I have a letterbox, but you can't follow me on it. Or Mike said that he would send me to the break room if I did. Oh, wow. That was a good one. <laughs> that Thanks. was a good one. <laughs> Forgive me for all of the harm that I have caused this world. <laughs> um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Micromarate. My letterbox is Shruti Marate. And then you can follow the show on Letterboxd, Twitter, or Instagram. We are all at Chaos on the Set. Mm-hmm.